It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Two moms looking for inspiration wherever, wherever we, we can, can find it. it. We are on episode 112, and tonight I'm going to talk about a book I read called An Invisible Thread, which was all sorts of amazing. It is just going to be me for this episode. Amy decided to take a step back and focus on her family. She still has kids at home, but she will always be part of the Tangential Inspiration family, and I'm hoping that she's going to be a guest on the podcast every once in a while. So hopefully we'll still hear her with us. I'm also going to talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions and then an influencer that I admire. Happy New Year, and welcome to the first podcast of Tangential Inspiration in 2023. Tangential Inspiration will be going through some changes in the new year, and I'm excited to see where things will go. But January, off to to a new year. So by law, we're of course required to discuss New Year's resolutions. I call them intentions because it sounds better, but I'm a huge believer in New Year's resolutions or intentions, whatever you want to call it. My family, not so much. I see New Year's as a time for taking stock of my life, figuring out where I want to be and how I might achieve it. I'm a planner. So looking forward for a whole year is exciting to me. I also love setting goals. I don't always attain the goals I set, but I think it's important to set some goals to work towards. As long as you're making progress, I know for some, the pressure of setting resolutions can be difficult, but I love it. And just a little bit of progress is better than if you hadn't set any goal at all. According to the History Channel, the act of setting New Year's resolutions started about 4,000 years ago with the Babylonians. They were the first to celebrate a new year. It was at the new year that they crowned a new king, or re-pledged their loyalty to the reigning king. They made promises to each other and to their gods. They believed if they kept their promises, the gods would bestow good fortune on them. Otherwise, they would be out of favor with their gods. Later, Julius Caesar would start a new year for the Roman calendar on January 1st. January was named after the Roman god Janus. In Roman mythology, Janus had two faces, one that looked forward and one that looked backward. This symbolized reviewing the past and looking toward the future. The Romans would make sacrifices to Janus and make promises of good conduct in the next year to gain God's favor. Early Christians used New Year's as a time to think about past mistakes and resolving what to do to be better in the future. They would hold watch services on New Year's Eve to pray and make resolutions to be better for the new year. I have to admit, my resolutions have been primarily about bettering myself. After all, I'm the only person I have complete control over. These resolutions have always included some sort of fitness goal, sometimes weight loss, and always the pledge to eat better. I can even justify eating a little more junk food over the holidays because I know come January 1st, I'm going to eat better and exercise more. I set other goals that I want to achieve as well. Sometimes they may be work goals, but more often they're things that I want to accomplish. It might be doing a run or writing on a regular basis, but they have to do with accomplishing a goal I've set for myself. And I love, love, love to check things off my list. So much so that sometimes if I forget to put something on a list and I've done it, I will write it on the list just so that I can cross it off. 
However, since I started this podcast, I've really focused a lot of attention on people who might make small differences, but those differences can be extremely meaningful for others. This year, I want to make resolutions about making a difference. I'm not going to change the world. I might not even make a difference in more than a couple people's lives, but I'm going to do what I can. And even if I can help make a difference for one person, I think that's worth it. And if everyone included a New Year's resolution to make a difference somewhere, think of all the good that would come from that. Millions of people all affirmatively pledging to themselves to do something that could make a difference. It's great to work on improving yourself. And I'm the first person to say that everyone should make a resolution for self-improvement. I'm also saying that we should look beyond ourselves and resolve to do something that helps someone else as well. So that's going to be my goal for this year. Some of my suggestions for myself and others Have your family help a community. This might be helping feed the homeless, running a food drive, playing music for a retirement home, or cleaning up a neighborhood park. The important part is doing something as a family that helps out others. You could even make it a monthly activity. Try to perform one random act of kindness each day. Might be something small like helping an older person with their groceries, or something more involved like volunteering at a food bank one day. Buy someone a coffee. Big or small, every day, look for an opportunity to help someone. With the thought of the coffee, I know that people love to buy a coffee for the person behind them, but I read a great story about someone who, instead of doing that, they went to a school and paid off someone's lunch bill that they couldn't afford to pay. So anonymously, of course, but I thought that was a great idea. This one I love. Dive through your closet and find clothes, hats, shoes, or whatever that you haven't worn recently and donate it. You can give your items to a charity or even someone you know who might enjoy them. Get them out of your closet and to someone who actually will use and appreciate them. Find a charity that you can get behind and volunteer there. You might volunteer once a week, once a month, or just for some big fundraising event. Charities are often desperate for help, and volunteers can make a huge difference. Figure out what charities speak to you and find a way to help. Even if you don't think you have a way to help, I guarantee you that they have a place for you. Use your skills to help. Everybody has skills. Share those skills. If you're a painter, teach a class at a retirement home. I'm really into the retirement home because that's that's my day job. And I think it's so important to get out there and help our older community. But if you love to garden, Donate food or help start a community garden. If you sew, find a charity that upcycles old prom dresses for girls who can't afford to buy them. If you do construction, help with Habitat for Humanity or help a disabled neighbor do repairs around the house. If you're a teen, you're probably qualified to help anyone over the age of 60 with computers, smartphones, tablets, or any other technology. Pick up garbage. Have your family adopt a road and keep it clean. Find a stream bed and clean out the junk and garbage. When you hike, bring along a garbage bag and litter patrol along the way. Sign up for a solve event and help the community clean up. And if you can't physically do the cleanup, help organize volunteers or get the word out to others on social media. Could raise money for a charity. Find a way to get friends, family, coworkers, or even strangers to donate to a charity you are passionate about. Set a goal and see if you can break it. Let everyone you know what you're doing. Could be a bake sale or collecting pledges for a run. Play to your strengths and see what you can do. Even better, each year you could try to break your record for the previous year. 
Spend time with someone. There are lots of people who just need someone to talk to and spend time with. Might be children in the foster system that need someone to share with or even just to read with. Might be elderly people who have difficulty getting out of their home. Or it could be someone with a disability that limits their ability to interact with others. The point is, sometimes just spending time with someone can make all the difference for that person. And if you aren't a people person, think about volunteering at an animal shelter. Combine your exercise resolutions with helping others. I fully support exercise resolutions, but maybe you can focus on achieving those goals in ways that also help others. For example, you can pick events like bike rides, runs, triathlons that benefit charities. I will say definitely make sure to check out how much of the proceeds actually go to the charity. In some cases, it's very small. I did an event one time where you read the fine print and it was 2% of the cost went to the actual cause. So read the fine print if you're doing it for the cause. Combine your walking goals with a beach or a river cleanup. Pick invasive weeds as you walk. There are so many ways you can combine fitness goals with helping others. And finally, vow to buy or try to buy locally and support small businesses. Our impact in our own communities can help support local businesses, farmers, and restaurants. Face it, the chain stores are going to do just fine without our business. And they're always there if you can't find what you're looking for locally. But communities depend on small businesses for employment, fresh food, and keeping money in our local communities. When you're going to make a purchase, think about where your money's going. Helping others has proven to be one of the most effective ways to find happiness for yourself. I think we all should make a resolution to improve our lives by helping others. Happy New Year and have a blessed 2023. I'm just going to start with a little part that Laura Schroff had in her book, An Invisible Thread. It noted that there's an ancient Chinese proverb that tells of a deep connection that exists between two people from the moment they step on this earth. This proverb states that these two people are so deeply connected that they're destined to find each other and in some way impact each other's lives. In some cases, they're meant to find each other in order to save a life, possibly even their own. Other times, they're meant to find each other to help one another get through a difficult life situation. This deep, even spiritual connection is said to tie these people together by an invisible thread. The invisible thread bound between two people, regardless of the circumstances, is said to be unbreakable. I'm just sharing that because I had to look up. I mean, the book that I read by Laura Schroff is called An Invisible Thread, and it is about two people that just happened to find themselves, you know, on the same street corner and became really close friends, but it never went into the meaning behind an invisible thread. I just wanted to share that because the title is very meaningful once you know what it what it stands for, what it means, and why she named it that. And it kind of unfolds during the whole story. So we've all walked by people on the street panhandling, often trying to avoid contact. It's a very uncomfortable feeling usually leaves me feeling guilty for not doing anything. And seriously, how many of us walk around with change or cash anymore? This book gave me a new perspective on people, both young and old, making their way in this world and just trying to survive with what life hands them. The entire book, I thought that Maurice was 11, an 11-year-old panhandler, because that's what it says on the cover, and the book leads you to believe that. But come to find out, Maurice was actually 12 years old when they crossed paths, he and Laura. It's hard to keep track of your age when you don't celebrate birthdays. 
and I'm not talking for religious reasons. Maurice didn't get birthdays because his family was purely trying to survive. An extravagance like a birthday would just be frivolous. When Laura and Maurice were working on the book, he finally discovered his actual age. When your parents meet in a gang, like Maurice's, I feel like the odds are already stacked against you. His father was also named Maurice, although when he was born they couldn't spell it, so it became Morris. He was only about five foot two, but apparently extremely tough. People on the street would call him Lefty, not because he was left-handed, but because he would knock people out with his left arm. Maurice's mother, Darcella, had grown up with a bunch of brothers, so she knew how to fight. She was tough enough to be accepted into the Tomahawks. I hadn't heard of the Tomahawks, but they were founded in the late 60s in Brooklyn, and apparently at one time they were one of the largest black street gangs in the borough. The couple got married, had three kids, all before Darcella was 21, and Maurice was their third. He had two older sisters. The relationship didn't last, and his father ended up abandoning them after some pretty heated arguments. Heated enough, police officers were called. Eventually, they were without a home. And some of the sketchy areas his mother, Darcella, took them to left me shaking my head. She'd walk them into dark alleys. As a kid, he wasn't sure why, but later he discovered it was because his mother had a drug problem. Obviously, he wasn't happy that she was sick, but for Maurice, he thought his mom was much more tolerable when she was off in another place. That's kind of how he described when, when she was on drugs. Her eyes would be open, but he knew she wasn't really there. It's sad that in a way he preferred his mom while she was on drugs and much calmer than his clean mom. So 11, actually 12-year-old Maurice is in a room with 11 to 12 people, his mom, uncles, his grandma Rose, and it was always so loud and busy that he'd sleep in a closet. His uncles weren't the best role models for him since they sold drugs and would be in and out of jail. Same with his his mother. His grandma Rose was often in her chair. She was a calm, four foot eleven woman who could hold her own. She carried a straight razor with her just in case. So it's easy to see why Maurice would note that he lived in a completely different world than Laura Schroff, a New York businesswoman who passed Maurice on a street one day. Maurice was out on the streets of New York asking for change. That was how he was able to eat. If he got enough money, he could go get a burger or a slice of pizza. It wasn't uncommon for Maurice to go days without eating. The refrigerator in their apartment was empty minus water and some baking soda. The only good thing about school for Maurice was that he could get a free lunch, usually a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in a bag, but occasionally they got a hot lunch. Whatever they got, he was always extremely grateful for. Laura Schroff lived in New York, so people on the street asking for money wasn't anything new. In fact, when Maurice extended his hand to ask her for change, first she just walked away. But something made her turn around. She thought it was her mother up in heaven steering her to do the right thing. Regardless, she stopped in the middle of the street, turned back, and walked over to Maurice and asked him if she could buy him a meal. Just getting a little money for McDonald's would have thrilled him, but she actually took him to McDonald's and ate with him. I hear over and over again how unhomed people feel like they aren't seen, and I get that. It's uncomfortable, not to mention overwhelming. There's no way we can help everyone living on the streets, so it's hard to know where to even start. For Laura, she started with a meal at McDonald's for a kid on the street in filthy clothes and shoes that were clearly too small as toes were sticking out of one. She ate with him as as he scarfed down a burger, fries, and a chocolate shake. 
When they were done, she asked him if he wanted to meet again the following Monday. Obviously, he did. So it became their Monday ritual, both of them learning about each other and their separate worlds that they lived in. Their McDonald's trips evolved. One day, she would ask Maurice if he wanted to go to the Hard Rock Cafe. This was the early 80s, and it was the thing. Maurice had walked by that place so many times and never even dreamed that he might get to go inside, let alone eat there. He was worried he wouldn't be allowed in just with his clothes. But Laura assured him he would be just fine. Laura didn't want to pry into Maurice's life, and Maurice had been taught to trust no one. His grandma and mother raised him that way. Grandma Rose was the first one to catch on that Maurice had a new friend, and she asked what this woman wanted from Maurice. Laura had a genuine heart and just wanted to be his friend and be there for Maurice, but Grandma Rose didn't buy that because everyone wanted something from you. She was guarded, and understandably so. When Laura asked Maurice about his family, he lied, saying that his mom worked and took care of the house, too ashamed to tell the truth. One day, Laura asked Maurice if he wanted to go to a Mets game with her, and he jumped at the chance. Laura said that there would be one thing he'd have to do in order to go. And for a moment, he was thinking of his grandma and how she was right. Here was when Laura was going to ask him what she wanted, really, from him. She was finally going to say what she wanted. Instead, she gave him a piece of paper to have his mother sign. It was a waiver, giving Laura permission to take Maurice in her car. He knew he couldn't get his mother to sign the paper. His mom didn't even know about his new friend, and she certainly wouldn't approve, so he tossed the waiver in the garbage on his way home. The game was so close for Maurice, yet so far. Laura knew how much he wanted to go to the game, so she went to his house and knocked on the door. Maurice's mother answered, but it was clear she was in another world, leaning against the door jam to not fall over and not comprehending a thing, Laura said. Laura explained to Grandma Rose her intentions and hopes of taking Maurice to the game and Grandma Rose reluctantly signed the waiver. It would have been so easy for Laura to just drop the whole thing when Maurice failed to get the waiver back to her, but she was persistent, and I so admire that persistence. It changed Maurice's life. That visit upset Maurice, not because Laura witnessed how they lived, but because he was nervous for her safety. She had crossed into a world she didn't understand and had no idea how to survive. Maurice made her promise that she would never return to their apartment again, and she kept that promise. He got to go to the Mets game, and later she took him to a wrestling match where he got up close and personal with his heroes like Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Roddy Piper. She invited him over to her apartment for home-cooked meals and really took him under her wings in a way. Most importantly, she offered him her friendship. She told him to call whenever he was hungry, and he took her up on that. She trusted that he would never take any of the coins from her coin jar, and that had at least $1,000 of quarters, nickels, and dimes. That was, would have been a lot of meals for Maurice, but they only had that trust discussion one time, but it stuck with Maurice. She trusted him enough to share her life stories about her alcoholic and abusive father. Working at a bar certainly didn't help with his alcoholism. The kids... Laura and her siblings learned to listen for his car turning on their street so they could hurry up and close the windows. They didn't want the neighbors to hear the yelling. One day, her little brother Frank had been playing with one of their dad's tape measures, and somehow he found out. He marched over and grabbed Frank's baseball mitt, his one prized possession. And with all the kids crying and begging and screaming to leave it alone, pleading in front of them, he shredded it with a pair of scissors. 
It meant a lot to Maurice that she would be so transparent that way, sharing her pain and opening old wounds. She was a very successful businesswoman. From simply her appearance, no one would even have any idea the pain she had endured growing up. Maurice trusted her enough to ask if she might attend his school conference. Laura was willing to do that if Maurice made sure that his mother was aware of the situation. She really knew full well that his mother, Darcella, would never make it to the school conference. His teacher, Mrs. Holmes, made quite the impact on Laura, reminding her that she couldn't just pop into Maurice's life when it was convenient for her. In his young life, he had already had his share of disappointments. Mrs. Holmes didn't want Laura to end up another one of those. Laura most certainly didn't want to disappoint Maurice either, but at the same time, they lived in very different worlds. Laura was shocked one day when she reminded Maurice to blow his nose, discovering he didn't know how to do it. No one had ever taught him how to blow his nose. He didn't have good hygiene, and the kids made fun of him, which got him into fights at school. His burgundy sweatpants were always filthy, but they were all he had, at least until Laura. Maurice got to know the doorman at Laura's building, and he would bring his laundry there, the clothes she bought him. She'd bring his homework. It was quiet there, and he could eat. Laura taught him how to set the table, how to use silverware. I don't think he ever had a steak before Laura, and he most certainly didn't know how to cut it. One Christmas, they went to Laura's sister's house, her name was Annette, to celebrate, and Maurice just marveled at the dining room table. At his house, he was lucky to get food, and when you did, you ate it wherever you could. He couldn't believe how long people would sit around the table and just talk and laugh and visit. He knew that someday he wanted a dining room table. It's funny that meant so much to him versus the gifts. The only gifts Maurice had received included a little toy car from his uncle when he was four, and his grandma offered him a little white thing when he was six. That little white thing ended up being a joint. When he was 10, he went to the Salvation Army for Christmas, and they allowed him to pick out a used toy from the cardboard box. He picked out a white teddy bear with a little red heart. That was his first present. With Miss Laura, he got a remote control car, which they left at the apartment since it wouldn't last at his apartment. It would get stolen. Maurice had left a present for Laura, too, his white teddy bear, the only possession he had, really. One time, he went to Laura's apartment because he was so hungry and desperate for food. Laura fed him and then tried to come up with a solution to make sure it didn't happen again. I mean, after all, he was only getting food on Mondays with her. She said she could either give him money to buy food or she could make him lunch every day for him to pick up on his way to school. He asked if she could make the lunch in a brown paper sack. Of course, Laura said yes. That wasn't a big deal, but she asked him why. Maurice saw all the other kids at school bringing lunches in their brown paper bags, and for him, that was proof that someone cared about them. So, of course, Laura started making lunches in a paper sack. Laura eventually met a man, got married, moved out of the city. She would see Maurice usually every other week, but life and circumstances got in the way. When Maurice was 16, he dropped out of school after they had put him in a special ed school. He went, but he realized that the kids he was with were students that had developmental disabilities. They weren't like him, neglected kids. So he dropped out and tried to get a job. Maurice didn't want to be like his uncle, selling drugs to make money. Sadly, that seemed like the most practical route. Maurice's first job was when he was six years old. He worked for a guy named, that they called Snake. Basically, he was a pimp who wanted Maurice watching for cops. If the lady spent more than five minutes in a car, he was supposed to knock on the window. There were nights that he made $100 keeping an eye on things for Snake. 
Maurice applied to and was rejected from three messenger jobs. He finally got a chance with the fourth one and was making $8 an hour at Bullet Messenger Manpower. He was finally able to rent a hotel room for $45 a night. It was dirty, dangerous, and really it was a by-the-hour hotel, but it was the first time he had had a bed of his own to sleep in. Plus, it beat sleeping in the Kung Fu Theater. That's what they called the Times Square's theater. Before he could afford the hotel room, Maurice would buy a ticket to the Times Square Theater and just sleep in the back, where no one would bother him. Apparently, he saw Coming to America so many times he could recite the entire thing. He would occasionally make it to the YMCA to shower, and that desperate situation was preferable to his home life, which just blows me away that that's the case. Things were that bad for him at home. Both Laura and Maurice continued to have their share of life's roller coasters and lost touch at times. I don't want to give away the book since I think people should read it. I was amazed with how close these two strangers became, two strangers from two very different sides of the track. Weird that they lived within blocks of each other in New York and yet were in such different worlds. Starting with something as simple as a meal, these two found their similarities and really taught each other a lot which is what I think friendship is all about, learning about each other, not changing each other. Maurice is married and trying to get a construction business off the ground. Some might consider the apartment they live in run down, but it's home to Maurice, and he's happy, especially because it has a dining room table. Maurice and his family helped celebrate Laura's 50th birthday, where he gave a speech sharing that Laura had saved his life. I loved their tributes to each other. Maurice said, Miss Laura, I consider my childhood a gift. As hard as it was, it taught me the right way to raise my own children. I saw what my father did, and I might have grown up thinking that was the only way to be a dad. But then I met you, and you taught me there's another way. Laura would say to Maurice, All my life I carried the bad things in my childhood around with me, and they made me sad. But then I met you, Maurice, and you were so brave. You taught me the most valuable lesson about life. You taught me not to feel bad about the things I don't have and instead feel blessed by the things I do have. You taught me that the true blessings in life are often right there in front of you, maybe even standing on a corner holding out their hand. And that's how you saved me, Maurice. It's a beautiful read about their friendship, but I took away more than that. I appreciated Maurice's perspective on life. He didn't wallow in his misfortunes, but he was always looking ahead He was always thinking of others. He'd pack up leftovers to take to his sisters so they could have food too. One time Laura sent home homemade cookies back for the sisters and Maurice asked if he could also take them some milk because he wanted them to experience the cookies and milk just like Laura had given him. Maurice didn't hold a grudge towards his mother and while he had a hard time with his father, he still felt sorry for him and even gave him his final wish, naming his first son Maurice. I love that Laura listened to her heart and went back to take Maurice to lunch. That one experience would have lasted a lifetime for him, but instead, she opened her heart to this young man. She trusted him before he had earned it, because she saw something special in Maurice. I know that he sees Laura as an angel, and I agree, but I think her mother just might have had something to do with it, if not as an angel, just in how she raised Laura and that little voice in her head. We all have pains we're working through, and this story reminds us of that, which gives us even more reason to be kind to the people we see in passing. We never know what they're going through. It's also a reminder that we can 
and should be kind to everyone. Make friends with a variety of people. That's how we grow. Just amazes me what came out of such a simple gesture. Really want to read more stories like this. And more importantly, I want to create more stories like this. If love is the greatest gift of all, and I believe it is, then the greatest privilege of all is to be able to love someone. Laura Schroff Usually not a fan of influencers. It's no surprise. There's so many of them that are famous for being outrageous or just rude. Seems that they all promote themselves And there are some exceptions. I talked about Mr. Beast in episode 57. Mr. Beast was using, and still is, using his influencer status to help others and get people behind beneficial groups like the Ocean Conservancy and the Arbor Day Foundation. Ari Kananen is another influencer whom I can get behind. Ari's from Finland and is known on YouTube as the Queen of Cleaning. Ari has over 1.3 million followers on YouTube, and she's only 28 years old. Her YouTube channel is all about cleaning. As she says, the dirtier, the better. Now, contrary to what my children might tell you, I don't love cleaning, but I do love the result. I love a clear, clean counter. I love a freshly mopped floor. I love the order that cleaning brings, the satisfaction that comes from cleaning a room and having everything in its place. Unfortunately, my children and my husband don't share that same joy. They're content with, it's clean enough. Ari Kaninen is all about cleaning. She says she was fascinated by cleaning as a career choice in high school. She started studying people in the cleaning industry and looked for tips to do cleaning faster and better. She ended up going to college and got a degree in hospitality management, but continued to focus her career goals on cleaning. Her first YouTube cleaning video was a video of her cleaning her friend's kitchen. It got 300 views and 19 likes. But it got Ori started. She did more and more cleaning videos, talking her way through the process, giving tips and hints for cleaning different surfaces or hard-to-reach places, and talking about the products she liked to use. This was while she was running a growing cleaning business. And while Ari has a crew of cleaners working for her now, when she does the videos, it's just her doing the work by herself and clearly enjoying it. As her YouTube audience grew, she started to get people reaching out to her with questions about cleaning, which she tried to answer. One day, she got a request for help. A fan's family member had committed suicide in the family home, and the family could not bring themselves to clean up. Ari went to the aid of the family and cleaned their home for free, understanding how difficult that could be. People forget that in the midst of a tragedy like that, there's often cleaning that needs to be done, and that in itself can be traumatic. Ari continued to receive requests for help. Obviously, Ari could not help everyone who asked, but she chose viewers who had difficult circumstances, such as mental illness, to help clean. Her popularity began to grow, and she started to get sponsors. Ari has been very careful to pick sponsors that do not require her to use their products exclusively or require her to do mini commercials in her videos. Instead, she would rather describe the products she's using. Ari says... If the product isn't good, I don't care what they're going to give me or how much they would pay me. The sponsors help pay for her travel and hotels while she travels to help people with their cleaning issues. She's traveled around Europe helping people with cleaning problems and hopes to clean houses all around the world. At first, Ari didn't speak English and relied on a friend to translate for her. She's now on TikTok with short cleaning transformation videos and speaks some English, but for her, the focus is always on the cleaning. Her most viral TikTok video has around 
88 million views, where Ari is just cleaning a really disgusting sink. Other videos have her cleaning filthy homes. Besides the tips she gives, Ari credits seeing the before and after as to why her videos are so successful. Ori's planning on releasing a cleaning app that provides a year-round cleaning schedule and tips on how to clean different things. Part of those proceeds, when launched, will be donated to a mental health charity. I may not enjoy the process of cleaning as much as Ori, but this is an influencer I can get behind. And if her app ever gets to the United States, you can bet I will be downloading it. An invisible thread connects those who are destined to meet, regardless of time, place, and circumstance. The thread may stretch or tangle, but it will never break. An ancient Chinese proverb. Inspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.